Welcome to another episode of RA Podcast. I'm your host, Shootsy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Bendy and King Sizzle. How are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I've been up to some new and exciting things in RA lately, so uh, I'm excited to chat about that with you guys. I'm doing great. Doing great. Great shoot. You got a lot of also, got a lot of other stuff to do. I've been doing this whole week, this whole month. Well, thank you guys for being here. I appreciate that. As a reminder, uh, we are now available on other platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, YouTube as well. Uh, this week, we'll be discussing a little bit about what we've been up to. It's been quite a while since we've had an opportunity to kind of talk about uh, what's been going on for each of us. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about the speculative future of RA, um, you know, new systems that might be kind of coming in here to the mix uh, again, I'll just clarify that uh, with the new systems that might potentially be uh, being added to RA, this is all just a speculative discussion, so we don't have any inside information or anything like that, just kind of planning for the future here. Uh, that being said, let's jump right right into things, guys. What have you been up to? Let's start with you, Bendy. Yeah, so like I said, I've been up to something very new and very different for me. This has been on my mind for quite a while now, but earlier this week, I finally just stopped and said, you know what, it's time. I requested the junior dev role in Discord, and I've actually started developing my first set, which is just, it's crazy, you guys. I've been on the site for years. I've been wanting to do this for a really long time, but, and maybe this is a feeling you guys can relate to. I've always felt sort of intimidating. Like, I always thought deving seemed so challenging and i was worried you know what if i mess it up what if i don't like it what if it's too hard uh but honestly so far i've really 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 enjoyed this this has been a great experience I i've only had my set in progress for less than a week now so i'm still kind of getting my feet wet in this whole new deving thing but yeah so i decided to start with a hack because i figured a hack would be kind of an easier starting point i don't want to jump into something too crazy and I decided to do a hack for Yoshi's Island because, you know, I'm the Yoshi guy and we don't have any Yoshi's Island's hacks on RA yet. So I figured it ticked a lot of boxes. It seemed like a good idea. Uh, this hack in particular is made by Golden Yoshi, who I recognize from, uh, he made some really good Super Mario World hacks. So I was figured, well, this is probably going to be really good too. And so far, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I'm kind of playing through the game for the first time. And then as I play through it, I'm deving. And it's just, it's been an interesting experience. I'm learning about digging for memory. I'm learning about what all the different stuff does, how to use the memory inspector, how to, uh, you know, work with that achievement code. And the interesting thing about working with a hack is I could sort of cross-reference the base set for certain things, but I'm making it a personal challenge to not do that until I've tried to figure things out on my own first. And I've actually gotten to the point where I feel like I've made some pretty creative achievements so far. Like, obviously, it's going to have progression and stuff, but I don't want it to be one of those hack sets where it's just progression. The whole thing is progression. I want to throw in some kind of interesting little challenge achievements, and that's what I've been working on right now. So as I play through the game, each time I reach a level, I'm trying to keep my mind open of... What would be a fun alternate way of playing this level that isn't necessarily the intended way, but would be a cool little extra challenge for the achievements? But uh, so far, really loving how this is going, and I'm sure this is a topic I'll be revisiting lots of times on the podcast in the future, but basically my first impressions are 
if any of you are worried about deving you're in that same zone as me where like you feel intimidated to get started just just give it a try dude because so far at least for me it's it's going really well i love it yeah no i'm definitely excited about um you know you starting your developing journey and uh even with everything that i have going on currently i'm still kind of considering diving into the developing world and just taking a break from the point grind just to kind of see you know how things go um, obviously I think with everything that I have going on, uh, I would probably dive into Game Boy and, you know, Game Boy is, as I've said many times on the podcast before, one of my favorite systems and also quite, uh, quite a bit simpler to be able to figure out the memory addresses and kind of develop around, uh, you know, developing in itself is not an easy task, but it's also something that I feel like if I was to start with the Game Boy, I think that would be a really good bridge to, uh, kind of learn about learn about the the system as a whole and the way that the memory works within it and uh, possibly bring some life to some Game Boy gems that you know at this point don't don't have a set um, aren't really being thought about you know the Game Boy doesn't necessarily get a lot of love um, but when it does it's always it seems as of late a really really nice set so it sounds like uh, that's something that you know hopefully Bendy I wish you the best of luck and I think that you are uh, doing your due diligence when it comes to diving into. Uh, I know that you're talking a little bit more about um, kind of just getting back into in-progress games and working on your completion percentage. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about that and uh, kind of just what, what your other plans are in terms of uh, things that are outside of development. Honestly, Bundy, that's that's how I feel about Junior. When I started Junior Dev, I was it was really exciting to make a make one of my favorite sets for my, for my favorite game diction racing but it was still nervous you know getting everything all together playing all the ram it was still exciting though i think that's i feel similarly it's that combination of some nerves some excitement and you know i i think that it, it makes it more exciting if that makes sense like there, there's that thought of this is new i've never done this before like i don't have a background in coding or programming and, or anything like that and I think that's a common misconception. I think that uh, a lot of people feel like I can't make achievements unless, you know, I'm a professional programmer or whatever. And like, honestly, you really don't have to be, at least from what I've seen so far. And don't get me wrong, like, I don't know everything about devving. I am just getting started. I am just learning. I started with not only Super Nintendo, which is pretty easy, but a hack, which is pretty easy. Like, there, there are... If I've looked at some achievement codes for this more difficult to work with games out there. There's some complicated stuff out there, but I, I think I have the right idea of starting small and working my way up. Like, I think I'm already starting to think ahead. Like after this, I might, uh, I might try something that isn't necessarily a hack, you know, try like an actual video game and then just kind of gradually work my way up and maybe work through some of my set requests. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm so excited to talk about this with you guys because this is such a new thing for me. And, I just, I, I've been saying for so long, oh, I'm going to start devving. I'm going to start devving. It's like, it's finally happening. It's so exciting. Yeah, I think uh, for you, it's kind of been something that's been speculated for a long time, but obviously you haven't dived into it because you've been focusing on, you know, badge quests. You're maintaining an event, um, which is a pretty big uh, responsibility in its own. 
And so I guess what, you know, one of my biggest questions for you as somebody that is kind of curious about deving and potentially might dive into it here in the near future is uh, what, what do you feel like might be the biggest challenges that you have faced so far or that you might face coming up in terms of developing a quality set that you feel like people are really going to want to play and really aim towards? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, there's, there's a lot of challenges that come up. And again, I can't stress this enough. Like I'm just getting started, but, uh, I, I know one of the challenges I've come up with early on is actually badge creation of all things. Uh, the way I want to do this set, it's going to have a lot of achievements, like a lot of low value achievements. And that means a lot of badges. And I've already made a few, but it, I think the toughest part was getting started, trying to like find a theme that I want them all to follow. And then once I have that theme, I can just kind of run with it for all of them. But uh, as far as other challenges, as far as the set design itself, uh, I think a big part of it is just, you know, reading the docs. The developer documentation uh, is really, really good. And most of the time when I've had a question, whenever I didn't know how to do something, the first thing I would do is check the docs. More often than not, like almost every time that would answer my question. And in the events that it didn't, or I was still a little unsure about something, uh, the junior devs channel on the discord is super, super helpful. I've, I've checked in with those guys and like, they're so supportive. They want to help. They want to make sure my set's the best it can be. So there's a lot of resources out there to help me with those issues that come up. Not sure if you experienced this before, Bendy, but what I like to do when I'm like thinking about, oh, what can I do? What weird achievements can I do? I always like to ram, um, like edit the ram. To the point of you know oh what happens if i put these values to a different number what if i just take every single value and put it all to f or one or something just you know see what happens you know the game might break the game might do some wacky different glitches and it's just really exciting um like just for nicktoons racing for example my first you know junior dev set i found like different values that control the camera different values that make your respawn um, different values that made the background do like re really wacky <laughs> circles and it was just it, it was really weird and it was really interesting just to mess around with the values and the memory yeah no i think it's awesome that you guys uh you know because you guys have obviously both been on the opposite side of the equation which is the player perspective and so you've probably had a lot of time to think about a lot of the sets that you played through and think about, you know, what what makes a set um, great versus good or excellent versus good from a player perspective. And so, you know, obviously, um, like you said, Bendy, you don't necessarily have to have a background in coding or programming or anything like that. You just have to be willing to learn and accept criticism uh, from the development team and work with them and be patient and uh, learn about how to you know, hunt down memory addresses and the number of different things that go into set development. But I think one of the greatest things is that you're so open-minded about um, just kind of thinking about you know, what it is you need to do. But I think having that player perspective and having uh, 
that perspective of, okay, these are the types of things I've done before. Damageless, deathless, complete these stages, et cetera, et cetera. I think that really gives you a more nuanced perspective. And so I almost feel like um, a lot of the time as a player of retro achievements, as somebody that's played a long time, that almost gives you, I wouldn't say necessarily an advantage, but it kind of gives you a, uh, a baseline approach so that when you go into sets, you kind of feel like if you want to get a little bit creative, you certainly can. It just depends on your ability to, um, you know, pick up the development tools and learn about how sets work as a whole and what you really need to do to make a set uh, stand out from the rest of the set. So it's it's really impressive that you've been able to kind of dive into that and put a lot of thought into that. And, you know, I, I, I will admit I've been uh, kind of reading some of your posts in Junior Devs, not to, <laughs> not to say that I'm stalking you or anything like that, but uh, it seems like you really are doing your due diligence to make sure that the set really stands out and that you are really taking your time and just not whipping out a set, right? That you're actually putting the time into it and um, really giving it your best foot forward, I guess would be a different way to put it. So I kind of want to dive a little bit more into Sizzle. Um, appreciate you kind of filling in with your comments about um, you know what you've learned from the development experience because obviously at this point you've developed you know a number of sets at this point, so you have a good perspective on that. Uh, not only that, but you've also are an active player on retro achievements as well, so you have kind of that dual that dual background that really gives you the the full 360 picture of what it takes to be able to not only earn the difficult achievements, but also to be able to develop those difficult achievements and make sure that they're up to a quality level that the player is going to enjoy. So do you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, one, one of the biggest things about this episode, I guess I'll say before, you know, I ask you to get into things is we've all uh, been very busy. And we all haven't really had a chance to kind of dive into what we've been personally working on, what we've been striving towards, and kind of what our goals are for the future here in 2021 and even uh, 2022. So Sizzle, I kind of want to dive a little bit more into what's what's been going on with you, man. You know, what, what have you been working on? Um, what has kind of kept your interest level peaked on uh, retro achievements? And tell us a little bit more just about kind of what your thoughts are for the future as far as retro achievements is concerned. Well, in this past month of uh, February, I haven't really been doing much of devving or making achievements or making badges, but I have been participating in uh, Challenge League 3's uh, Leapfrog event. If you're uh, unfamiliar with Challenge League 3, which I know a, most, a lot of users are involved with it and know about it, but just to go over it, it's a, uh, it's a community event or official event hosted by Snowpin. And it's a year-long event that includes 12 different challenges over the several months of the year. It uh, started in February, but I think it's going to end next year in February, I think. Um, but uh, last month uh, was the month of leapfrogging, where several users needed to achieve a progressive amount of five-point achievements over the month of February. For example, one of the, one of, one of the, the starting points of it is that uh, the first day of leapfrog, consists of earning a single five-point achievement, while day two consisted of earning two five-point achievements, and then day three, three of them, 
four, five. It just keeps going on and on and on. Uh, this continues until the user hits day 30 or it, they don't achieve the current day's requirements. Um, it was really, overall, it was a really fun event. I, uh, I didn't think I was actually going to make it to day 30, but I, it, I pulled it out and I was just like, man, what do I have to do now for like now my last 10 days? And I started doing a bunch of different achievements, different sets, play a bunch of different new games. Um, also, another thing I want to mention is that the my ranking for the site, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like focused too much on my ranking, but it has shot up a lot uh, just by doing this event. It's really, it was really interesting and exciting to do all these different, all these different achievements and seeing what I can, you know, do with this event. Um. As far as the event goes, currently we are beginning the start of challenge number two. I don't think anybody has any idea of what it's going to be, but I'm pretty hyped about it. It's going to start on the 15th, and hopefully soon Snowpin will say some stuff about it. Yeah, first of all, I just wanted to say, you know, big congratulations on making it through the 30 days of LeapFrog. Uh, that's not easy. I actually attempted it myself, and I ended up failing pretty close to the end. But I'll be sure to try it again later in the year. That's one of the cool things about Challenge League is there are all these different challenges and all these different like crossovers with other events throughout the year. And you don't necessarily have to beat them right when they're introduced. Like you have time and they're just kind of staggered as they come out. I, I think it's a really cool idea for an event, honestly, because we've gotten to the point where there's sort of, I don't want to. I don't want to say there's an event bloat, but like there's a lot of different events on RA and it can get overwhelming and confusing if you don't know what the different events are, you don't know where to get started. So I like the idea of one event that has like all these crossovers with other events. It just seems like a cool, a mutually exclusive thing way of just getting everyone involved like I, I, you know i'm not announcing anything officially but i will just say i wouldn't be surprised if snowpin is down for it i would be down for a, a potential peak streak crossover in the future uh i think that could be really cool and yeah i just think it's a cool event that has a lot of potential so i'll definitely be participating in that more uh, as the year goes on for sure yeah, no, I think it's awesome that you guys are uh, getting so involved in these sites events. And admittedly, um, you know, as somebody that primarily focuses on a pretty uh, limited number of categories within my profile, uh, it's something that I haven't participated in, but it's always impressive to see you guys kind of theory craft, you know, uh, what you're going to try and do for the future and to struggle through that and to see you guys. I mean, I know I watched for a fact, I watched Sizzle yesterday. Um, you know, obviously he he pushed through and he made the achievement of the week and he's been really, really pushing very hard. And uh, these side events can definitely test your patience and put you in a position where you're dealing with a lot of um, difficult achievements and I mean, it's it's very uh, admirable to see his tenacity in that regard and just kind of see him push through and ultimately succeed despite, you know, sometimes being behind the clock, sometimes, you know, because he's, he's working full-time at this point to see him be able to, uh, you know, deal with these difficult events and still be able to uh, overcome and see through that. So I don't, I don't want to talk too much on that. Cause obviously that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but I know it seems like you guys have some, some, um, 
other thoughts on the side events and kind of what that, that means to you. So I'll let you guys kind of go back and forth with that a little bit. You're hundred percent correct. Correct. Shoot. Like it's like, you got like the time consumption of these events are pretty big, but at the same time, it's like, it, the t- uh, I'm trying to hold on. It's um the time restraints of it was pretty, pretty tight, but the end of all, you know, once I get all my priorities straight, it comes out to be, you know, against the clock and it's semi exciting, some kind of sometimes a nervous nervousness of, you know, Oh, maybe I won't be able to get this achievement uh, day done, or maybe I won't be able to get this um, achievement of the week done. Just like the other day I was playing the achievement of the week of uh, duck um, duck wing or dark wing duck. And that was really, really stressful, but it was still pretty fun. I had a fun time with it. And, um, leapfrog there was multiple multiple days where people were eagerly me like cheering me on <laughs> in a sort of way of saying hey you got like an hour left you gotta do those achievements and it was really really awesome and really exciting to pull that off of doing like oh 15 five point achievements in under the span of like an hour and either that would be like just one whole set or there'd be multiple sets of just playing through just random games it was really exciting yeah, time management is definitely a big thing that comes up when you're trying to do side events, especially if you're trying to juggle multiple side events. I mean, Leapfrog alone is a pretty big investment. I got to the point recently where I was doing Peak Streak every day. I was doing Leapfrog every day. I was trying to do Achievement of the Week every week. And it, it, I guess it, it gets to the point where you have to ask yourself, what do I really want out of this? Like if side events are, if you're genuinely having fun with them, they could be an awesome different way of enjoying RA. For me personally, I still love side events. I'm still going to participate in them, but I've decided to kind of take a step back a little bit recently. Obviously I'm still hosting Peak Streak. That's still my big thing. But uh, as far as participating, I felt like because I was doing so much side events, I wasn't able to focus on other things I want to do. Like, for example, I wouldn't have been able to juggle deving with all of this other stuff. So now that I've dropped this, I'm able to pick up deving. I've also been revisiting uh, a lot of my achievement sets that have been in progress for a long time. Because I have so many sets that I've started and then just not finished. And they've just been sitting there for months or a year or more. And I've been starting to kind of attack some of those recently, and it's been really satisfying. It's it's a great feeling finally getting that badge, finally getting that 200% on something that you've just seen staring at you. You've seen that incomplete progress bar just staring at you for such a long time. I feel like those are some of the most satisfying masteries. And honestly, I was surprised at how many of them I finally mastered and felt like, why didn't I do that a long time ago? That wasn't nearly as hard as I expected it would be. So that's kind of what I've been up to right now as far as what I've been playing on RA. Yeah, no, thank you, Bendy, for kind of filling us in on, um, you know, not only your development journey, but kind of where your shifting priorities lie. Because, uh, you know, as somebody that is kind of figuring out what my next steps on retro achievements are, um, I've made some pretty big shifts as well in uh what i've been doing and some of it is positive some of some of it is negative um but i think it's mostly positive for the most part so i kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that and then just get your guys' thoughts on you know the ever (laughs) the ever shifting uh 
priority system that we have with RA. You know, sometimes it's side events, like you guys said, and that takes full priority. And sometimes you do different things to just kind of relieve yourself from that. And uh, again, Bendy, you know, uh, a big congratulations to you on taking the initiative to uh, start working on sets because that's a huge step. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter who you are. You know, it doesn't matter whether you have a programming background or a computer science background or you're just some guy. Um, the amount of time that it takes to develop a set and to do it really well and put out a quality product for people to enjoy on the uh, Retro Achievements website is a big initiative in itself. And it takes a lot of, um, uh, you know, initiative. I might even say courage to be able to put yourself out there for people to throw in tickets and to criticize you and to really... Uh, deep dive into, you know, what you're doing and to really give you the the what's up, I guess, so to speak, on um, your work. And it, you know, it puts you in a really vulnerable position. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, it sounds like you are really enjoying the struggle, <laughs> as we say, on retro achievements of, um, you know, putting yourself through a difficult position to get into a comfortable position where you feel good about what you're doing. And, you uh, the work that you're generating at the end of the day. Um, so to kind of dive into a little bit more about what I've been working on, um, I've been taking a break from streaming. You know, I have a relatively small stream. I have like less than 200 followers or something like that. So it's not a huge deal at the end of the day, but I have been taking a break from streaming. I used to be a streamer who was doing four five, six days a week plus um, for about four hours a night minimum. And I've been taking a break from that for just mental health reasons to kind of get myself back into a better position. Um, you know, I'm kind of working on some stuff in my personal life to be able to get everything back to where I would like it to be. And so that uh, once everything is straightened out with that, I can, you know, dive right back into streaming and hopefully continue to stream four, five, six days a week. Because I, I think my favorite uh, streams at the end of the day are when I stream Game Boy titles. Uh, there's been a number of Game Boy titles that have come out recently that are just killer titles that I haven't been able to stream because I'm just really not in a position to do it uh, mentally. And I really want to. I know that um, I think Fortified Zone by Gano just came out. You know, he's taking his dive into devving as well. And I mean, <clears throat> let, me, let me just say that that set before was uh, a very basic set. I think it was like Beat Stage 1, 2, 3, 4. And he's really transformed that into something that um, would probably be a really enjoyable experience, particularly because I'm, you know, such a Game Boy enthusiast. So uh, that's on my eye for sure as something to be able to do. I know that there's some Game Boy sets that are coming out in the future. And then obviously um, a lot of other sets that I kind of have my eye on. I'm always... I'm always kind of think, trying to think two steps ahead of what do I want to accomplish on Retro Achievements and also... Uh, you know, what am I going to enjoy? What what looks good for the long term? Uh, as some people know, I talked about this a little bit in the last, I think, episode or two, but I've been on a really big point grind. Um, in the last month, I was able to generate, I would say, a very, a very large amount of points uh, for me personally. Uh, so I've been really, really focused on that in the ranking up system. I just hit the top 50 so uh, congrats to me, I guess. I, you know, it's at the end of the day, I try and kind of stay humble about it. It's not the, the biggest deal in the world because there's a lot of better players than me, no doubt, right? There's a lot of players that are incredibly strong at a number of genres, but um, 
it's certainly been something that I've really enjoyed doing and I'm very happy to have hit the top 50. I think my goal a long time ago was the top 100. So um, hitting the top 50 was just a, a, a big milestone for me personally. Although, you know, as far as uh, the overall views of that particular rank, you know, a lot of people might say that's whatever and that's perfectly okay. It's just a, a personal goal. Um, a couple other things that I, I wanted to talk about are uh, just uh, what I've been playing lately since I haven't been streaming, I've been really getting into beat-em-ups. Um, as some people know, I've talked a little bit about uh, fighting games on the last uh, few episodes, or even in the early episodes, I talked about how I love fighting games. And beat-em-ups uh, have really been sticking with me, just kind of that art and flair and nuance of learning. Not only the levels and where the you know, where the placements are of different uh, types of mobs, but also just the boss fights. And I'm somebody that's very much um, into the idea of if I watch a video, I can totally copy that and learn about it. And it takes a little bit away from the aha moment that we've talked about before on the podcast. But, uh, you know, it's a really big thing for me to be able to, I, with, with beat-em-ups, you can say whatever you want about beat-em-ups, but there's still that execution factor of doing particularly well and being able to do a damage list or do a death list on a boss. Even if you watch a video, it's still 100% execution based. Uh, it looks like you, you both have a little bit to talk about about that, but I just kind of wanted to uh, comment a little bit about where I've been since I, ha I haven't been streaming. I haven't been really uh, saying a whole lot about what I've been doing, so I wanted to kind of put it out there on the podcast, but... Um, let's start with you, Bendy. It sounds like you had some thoughts on kind of what uh, what I was diving into. Yeah, well, the first thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, big congratulations on Top 50. That's a huge accomplishment. I don't care who you are. Top 50 is insane. Um, and it just occurred to me that I guess we haven't really addressed this on the podcast yet, but, you know, for a long time now, we've been sort of rivals on the leaderboard. We, that This is something we've talked about a lot on the podcast, this idea of for rivals sure. and someone close to you on the leaderboard. We have that yeah. friendly little back and forth. And just recently, you actually passed me up for the first time, which I'm not going to lie, I wasn't expecting this. I always felt like, you know, oh, I'm not worried about shoot. He's like 3,000, 4,000 points behind me. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you just started going hard on this point grind. And I don't know, I'm torn because on one hand, I have all this these little projects I'm working on right now, and I'm excited to keep doing what I'm focusing on. Then on the other hand, part of me is like, maybe I should just drop all that and focus on points for a little bit. I can't let shoot win. But like, honestly, all joking aside, yeah, I, I those the, what you were saying about beat-em-ups... I think you make a good point. Like these beat 'em ups, these arcade games, I don't think they're as free as some people might think. Because, I mean, these are games designed to suck away your quarters, right? When when they have achievements like uh, do this damage list or do this without messing up, like that's actually a pretty big investment. So uh, big props to you. I've been noticing you've been going really hard on the beat-em-ups lately. And I think you're right that there is a very specific skill set you need for those. And I'm not sure that I've developed that skill set, honestly. I know for me with beat-em-ups, a lot of the time I just, I feel like you're just pressing buttons. And it's like, sometimes you hit the enemy, sometimes the enemy hits you. It's hard to tell, like, who has priority. You're just hitting buttons. And honestly, there's so much more to the game than that, but... I haven't quite uh, 
haven't quite wrapped my brain around the techniques just yet, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I think for now, I'm going to put the point grind on holds for a little longer, but I'm not letting you win, shoot. I'm coming back one of these days. I'm coming back with a vengeance. Well, I, uh, you know, I certainly appreciate that, Bendy. And again, congratulations to you as well on top 50. Because uh, as far as I know, as of today, you and I are both top 50. Is that correct? Uh, yep, that's right. I believe I'm 49 at the moment. Okay. So, um, you know, and uh, honestly, you know, with the point grind, um, these next few weeks, I feel like I'm going to be taking a break to uh, allow you to catch up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be taking a little bit of a break just to kind of focus on real life stuff. And um, I've had a good point grind. You know, I had a great month. I think I was like number one or number two for points this last month. Uh, again, not to brag, just to be factual that uh, I really went hard. I really enjoyed what I did. And uh, I had a great time doing it. And it really turned me on to uh, beat em ups a lot more than I thought I would. Points or not, there's just such a great nuance, such a great, um, the art style for some of these beat em ups is just so beautiful. Uh, it's hard to ignore, you know, it's hard to put that aside and just think about the points because you're just enjoying the game so much from a player perspective and even just kind of figuring out, you know, the, uh, just the more nuanced achievements that, you know, uh, a smaller number of players were able to figure out in order to grind some retro points has been a really big thing for me. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's been a pleasure. And I mean, I'm again, congratulations to you. Uh, for reaching top 50 as well. Cause that is, you know, in, in my mind personally, a huge accomplishment. So. Thanks man. And yeah, I think you make a good point about like uh, just the graphics of arcade games. And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, these games need to have these attract modes, these demo modes that really uh, they catch people's eyes and they make you want to play those games. But I feel like that's one of the biggest draws of so many arcade games is they just have this beautiful, incredible sprite art that just really, really catches your eye and just makes them a joy to play through. Beat-em-ups in particular, you know, they have the art combined with the sound design that just makes it so satisfying to go through, beat up these dudes and just make it through this little adventure. I absolutely love arcade games for that reason. I gotta say, like, congratulations both to you, to you guys, because it's just, I'm over here at, like, top 700. <laughs> I'm, like, far away from you guys as much as possible, but at the same time, it's, like, it's a really big, giant grind between um, game to top 1,000 and top 50. Like, I, I feel like, I know some people say it's really easy, some people say it's really difficult it really depends on what you're doing and all you can do you know some people say just do free points you know just there there's so many points out there they just need to do all those free points then you'll be set well at the same time it's like a lot of time investment but it's also like all, all there's so many points between <laughs> the different rankings it's just awesome that you guys are at top 50 you guys both are at top 50 i know a bunch of other users are at top 50 and i want to like you guys both to getting that grind up there it seems really difficult um i'm hoping to get up there soon enough maybe not in the next month because i'm not super crazy about the point in ranking stuff but i want to get up there and you know rival you guys i've always talked about some people with mini vt and draco and you guys and it's just i want to get to that point ranking system 
where I could just say like, oh, I'm ahead of you. Oh, I'm behind you. I got to catch up. Or, you know, just have this, some kind of rivalry. But I'm over here back in 700. And it, another thing, if it wasn't for Leapfrog and po possibly Challenge League and maybe Unwanted. Unwanted has helped a little bit. I think Unwanted is another event that we haven't really discussed. But that's for another time. Um, I think Challenge League helped me a lot because I was in like the 1,200 ranking and then I jumped up to 700. And that's just, I just want to say congrats to you guys both. Yeah, thanks, man. I, uh, you know, it comes down to this thing we keep talking about over and over with this podcast. Different people enjoy RA in different ways. For some people, it's all about the point grind. It's all about climbing the leaderboard. Uh, for some people, it could be something else like side events. It could be badges. You know, we've drilled this topic to death by this point. But what I think is interesting is when we get these crossovers between goals, where like working toward one goal simultaneously helps you with another goal. So perfect example, like you just said, Sizzle, you've been doing Challenge League, you've been doing Leapfrog, and that's really helped you buffer your points a bunch. And that just got me thinking of myself about when I did Leapfrog, uh, last year leapfrog four i think it was leapfrog four yeah leapfrog four um that was the most points i'd ever earned in such a short period of time i just i rocketed up the leaderboards during that it's absolutely insane and normally i wouldn't play that much each day or i wouldn't focus on points that much but having that little that crossover of the event and the point goal was like two goals working simultaneously it's like you know, killing two birds with one stone. It's great. I love it. Yeah, no, again, I, I think it's awesome that you guys have um, committed so much time to these events because I think these events ultimately alter your play style so much. And, um, you know, you really have to be so adaptive to these things that, you know, where you're earning one, two, three, four, five, six, et cetera, achievements a day, or you're earning, you know, uh, X amount of points you're doing, whatever. And um, I'll be honest with you. I haven't participated in a side event for years. And it's, I will say this just as a precursor, it's not anything against the people that run the events. It's just not my play style and not what I enjoy. So, you know, I've always tried to, um, I guess, fulfill the spirit of the site in the sense that I want to enjoy what I'm doing a hundred percent of the time. And, or 200% of the time, I guess, I guess you could make that joke, but, um, you know, with these, with these side events, um, it's always been so tough for me to be able to get into the side events and enjoy the site in the way that I want. And the biggest philosophy that we've always kind of had on the podcast or just as players in general is that you need to enjoy the site, how you want it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's really important that you're not, um, putting yourself in a position where you're just playing the games to play them in a certain way to participate in the events and you're not enjoying the site at all from a player perspective because you know there are a lot of people that have a lot of free time but there are a lot of people that um, the weekend is all they've got you know, that's all they've got in terms of being able to enjoy the site. You know, they're working nine to five Monday through Friday. Um, and obviously there are a lot of people like that that participate in the website. And so, you know, I mean, I, 
I don't want to uh, beat beat a dead horse here, but at the end of the day, you have to enjoy the site how you want. If that's site events for you, that's okay. If that's you know trying to get your retro ratio, that's okay. I I'll be honest with you guys. I'm working on you know Bendy. You said this before, but you want that ninety percent plus. I'm starting to get there, buddy. Like I'm I'm you know coming up on eighty six percent, and I want to hit that ninety percent plus. And that involves making some tough choices in terms of what I want to play a little bit. But that's just how I enjoy the site, and how it makes it fun for me. So, you know, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I certainly want you guys to be able to get your input in, but that's just kind of how I enjoy the site. And, um, you know, I, I focus on one goal at a time. I think if you're too, you're too spread out with what you're doing, you're spreading yourself too thin. But I think it's really important at the end of the day that that should be your number one mindset when you are playing on the website. Doesn't matter if you're casual Midcore, I guess, is what some people would say. Hardcore, um, whatever you're doing, just enjoy the website. You know, just play towards your goals. Don't let you know. Don't let things like um, points or ranks get in the way of what you what you personally want to do. I've said this so many times, and it, it just sounds so cliche, but that's what's really important to me at the end of the day. Like that. When, whenever I'm feeling you know a little bit down or like I don't want to play for that day, I think about that. And, all of a sudden my mindset completely turns and does, you know, 180. And I just want to, I want to play because I realize it's not about other people or what they're doing. It's just about what I want to do and what makes me happy when I logged into the website. So. Well said. And I agree 100%. The only thing I wanted to add, just a quick little caveat to what you said is uh, I understand the idea that, you know, Different people have different amounts of free time. And if you can only play on the weekends or maybe for like one hour in the evening or something like that, that's understandable. A lot of people are in that situation. But I want to say, if you're listening to this podcast and you're one of those people who has very limited free time, don't feel like you can't participate in side events because of that. Like if you feel like you really would enjoy side events, but that's what's holding you back, give it a try. Because honestly, there are so many different side events for different ways of enjoying RA. Um, obviously, something like Peak Streak or Leapfrog is a little bit more extreme with a daily commitment. You probably can't do that, or it would really stress you out if you tried to do that. But there are weekly-based events, and there are monthly-based events. And with the upcoming RA Olympics, we're even seeing things like quarterly-based events. So not everything has to be a big time commitments every single day so it just you know if anyone out there is feeling like it's too overwhelming i don't have the time maybe give it a shot maybe look into it and maybe you'll end up enjoying it that's all i wanted to say there i mean even if you don't really enjoy all the events that much there's so many other things you can do on the website you can either do uh art stuff with you know redesigning um like badges that might need touching up because there's a bunch of different sets that have uh the same icon you know um either it's because the person um didn't know what to do or you know whatever but i mean the giving those kind of sets more love is also a good thing too um nothing negative about that anyways but you can do art stuff you can you know climb the leaderboard you can do some points take your leisurely on how you want to do the website there's a spot for everybody in the website just like how i started with the art stuff 
I really um, like doing graphic arts on, you know, the computer and that kind of stuff, making stuff my own. But at the same time, you know, I wasn't super crazy. I'm still not crazy about points, as I said it before. But I just I want to do something for the website. I like helping out. I like making, creating stuff. So I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, do some badges for one of my favorite Yoshi games, which is uh, Yoshi's Topsy Turby, actually, which, you know, some people might like that game, some people might not, but it's one of my, you know, childhood favorites. So I did some badges on that, and, you know, people seem to really like it, and I just kept on going with that. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, you make a really good point, Sizzle, that, you know, you're a maker, right? You're a person that makes stuff that um, people get to enjoy in different ways on the site, you know, through the artistic uh, perspective and um, you know I'm not an artist uh, uh, at, at this point my wheelhouse is just enjoying the site for the uh, player perspective but you know it's something that I talked a little bit about um, on the discord before but I've thought about diving into the maker perspective a little bit more and um, potentially deving sets and Again, this is this just goes back to kind of what we've all talked about um, a lot before. So I don't want people to feel like we're beating a dead horse, but there are a lot of ways to enjoy the site. Honestly, there's probably half a dozen to a dozen different ways you could enjoy the site. Site events, making badges, developing sets, going for retro ratio, going for uh, completion percentage, working on the leaderboards, all these uh, all these different things uh about the site are what truly make it such a unique place to enjoy and you know what might be your cup of tea what might be your way to enjoy the site somebody might completely hate but then what on the flip side of that what you might um completely hate and not enjoy that person loves doing that they love making badges they love you know not necessarily going for hardcore ranks on the site but um, being able to dive into things. And I think um, the one thing I am a little bit jealous of you both, you know, Sizzle and Bendy is you guys have such a great perspective on the development of sets that I really don't have at this point. You know, I have kind of hemmed and hawed and I've done my thing about uh, thinking about it a little bit because there are so many Game Boy sets that don't have... Um, that don't have anything developed for them yet that I've really thought about um, that are games that I grew up with. That I really feel like maybe I could contribute a meaningful experience to players, but I'm just not ready to take that step yet. But I think you both could certainly go into a little bit more about, you know, your junior dev experiences, what you guys have learned. I mean, Bendy, I know you're, you know, you're just kind of diving into things. Sizzle, obviously, you know, you've got a little bit more, um, fuel in your tank as far as you've done multiple sets you know you've been through that process you've been through the struggle of having to do that but i think if you guys could talk a little bit more just about um kind of the the highs and lows of that that might give our audience a little bit more perspective on um you know at the end of the day the other ways to enjoy the site that aren't necessarily from the player perspective, but ultimately made you guys feel fulfilled because you wouldn't be spending your, you know, your hard earned time being able to do those things. If you truly didn't care about them. I mean, I know sizzle for a fact that you're working full time, right. 
and you're still putting in your hours into the website, you know, working your butt off to make sure that your achievements work, everything's good, and that you're up to speed. So if you guys can maybe talk a little bit more about that uh, to kind of fill in my ignorance, <laughs> I guess you could say, um, and to kind of give our audience a little bit more of a perspective on, you know, what the development perspective looks like, putting your hard-earned hours into that, and then kind of how you guys feel about that overall as a whole and what you guys have learned from that. That would be great. I think you would, uh, like, I would think you're, like, doing your dev process a lot. It's um, pretty eventful. It's pretty exciting. It's a little bit tedious in some points. Um, it's just more so about exploring um what you can and cannot do and what you can find inside of one of your favorite games and how it might work and how it might not work you know you might think oh they have it set up this way in your head but in reality they have it set up a different way um that could be you know positive or negative on how you make achievements about it um i know that when i was working on nixon's racing and a bunch of other sets um, I thought it worked like, oh, it's just going to be like, you know, a checkbox on a, on a grid. And, um, it kind of, it kind of was, you know, completing different tracks and completing different cups, you know, things would start filling in on the, uh, unlock addresses. Um, so it was pretty interesting and exciting and, you know, seeing what I could do, seeing what, you know, oh, what happens if I unlock the third cup and I didn't finish the second cup, can I go play that third cup? That part's really exciting. Um, I'm currently on my uh, fifth set, and I still have a lot of flowing, <laughs> I guess you could say juices going, you know, with um, creative freedom and uh, what I could do next and what my expectations are um, that kind of have changed over the sets. You know, my first set was a racing game. My second set was, um, I believe it was a rhythm game. and uh, And then I went back to a um a racing game and i kind of felt like this different like side of myself where i'm just like i want to i want to focus on more of that rhythm side because i really like doing playing i like playing rhythm games i like you know designing my own maps with the rhythm games and i was thinking maybe i'll be more of a platformer kind of guy and you know looking at some of the code of some other sets um, I was like, meh, maybe not. I can probably just work on rhythm games, and that's kind of what I've been doing, um, especially with this one set I'm working on called uh, IS, Internal Section. It's it's just about done. It has pretty much all the achievements done. It has the leaderboards. It has almost everything, except for the badges. I have to still do the badges on it. But that set, it's pretty pretty cool. I really like the style of the game. Um, it's just it's kind of a new gameplay for me. I'm familiar with this gameplay, but it's like it's a tube shooter where you control like this um, spaceship and you go around this like tube kind of like area, kind of almost like um, I'm trying to think of what the one game was. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was a old uh, arcade game. It was like a vector vector graphics system kind of game, but it was in the arcades and everyone liked it. Um, but it's that kind of gameplay really interests me, and it was a really fun experience to go through but at the end of it i'm kind of like kind of burned out on it i kind of just like man i kind of don't want to go through all this because i'm just like it's not a super big giant game it's kind of like an arcadey kind of game there's that much stuff to build on it there's not many challenges to go off of it's just score and finishing all the levels that's pretty much it um 
now it, there also are damageless achieve damageless achievements that I could do, um, but in the sense of I can just do that on no continues in a sense, but maybe for beat em ups it could be a little different. It could be you know, um, you know, p don't pick up these items, don't pick up this weapon or armor or whatever, and uh, I think those that'll be a really cool experience for you since you're getting into beat em ups. But um, overall, this this new set I think might come out pretty soon, and um, I mean overall it's a really fun experience. But I think I might move on to rhythm games more, which that's what I'm trying to the point. The point I'm trying to get here is that you might start off with something you really like, and then kind of morph your way into another section of you know what you think might be better. As and I was really interested in making racing and platforming, but now I'm more interested in making rhythm sets. And my my future of RA is kind of working on, um, you know, more rhythm games. There's some rhythm games of PS PS One that I think about doing. I think there's some rhythm games on the DS that I might want to look into. I know there's a few on the Game Boy. Um, even the Game Boy Advance has some too. I think overall it's just a really interesting experience in the junior dev and dev side and it's just it's really expansive that's really cool hearing about your perspective sizzle uh i i guess i never really thought about this idea of finding your niche finding what type of sets you like to dev and maybe i'll be seeing myself figuring that out in the future as well i know right now i'm working on a platformer and the next you know, the other games that I have in mind, I have like two or three in mind I'd like to maybe dev. Those are also platformers, but uh, maybe after that I'll start experimenting more with uh, different genres, different systems, things that are maybe a little outside of my comfort zone. And who knows, maybe I'll find something unexpected that I love. Uh, to go back to Shoot's original question, I guess to give a little bit more of my perspective on deving, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Junior Dev program in particular, since I'm currently going through it, and uh, people who have never deved before might not know how this actually works. So in order to graduate from a junior developer to a developer, there's actually a series of milestones that you need to hit, if that makes sense. And they're actually presented as achievements in an achievement set. It's like the junior developer graduate achievement set. So it's like one achievement is, uh, hey, do you know how to use deltas? Another one might be like, hey, do you know how to use alt groups? And it's like, you know, these different achievements for these different areas of deving. So basically to graduate from junior dev, you need to show that you understand all of these different areas of deving. And honestly, that's kind of where I am right now is like, I'm not going to get developer with my first set. I'm not even going to get close. So far, I've only covered like maybe two of the achievements on that list based on what I've made so far. But, you know, it's a process. And especially uh, starting with a hack is a very different experience than starting from a game where you're learning everything from scratch. But I don't know, man. I'm really excited to continue down this journey. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be stuff I don't know how to do, but... It's different, and after all these years on RA, like, it's time, dude. It's time. I'm so into this. Yeah, no, it's definitely exciting, um, Bendy, because, I mean, I know as your friend for a long time, um, you know, you've 
kind of hemmed and hawed at the idea a little bit, and this isn't a troll you or anything like that. It's just you've you've thought about this for a long time, right? This has been something that's been kind of in your mind, um, but there hasn't been a concrete path to do it. And now you're you're going through that process, and it's such a I mean, it's almost inspiring, you know, in a way, because, you know, I mean, even late last night when I was talking with everyone, um, I was just thinking about like, you know, maybe what it would be like for me to be able to go through that process. And again, you know, Game Boy only has, you know, three or 4,000 addresses to actually be able to utilize. So um, I feel very capable of being able to do it and learn from the best and have people really, you know, really humble myself out and have people teach me um, the way that things are supposed to be done. Um, there's just a lot of other things that I'm overcoming in my personal life that I feel like would be able, that would take away from the time I really need to. Because if I it, when I whenever I go hard on something, whether that be a set or whether that be a specific goal on RA, I go hard. You know, I I put everything behind me i literally put the the horse blinders on and i just go full bore at it and i don't feel like i'm you know at that point in my life where i can do that not not to make this like oh my god you're developing a set like you got to put everything on the line in your life but i really feel like if i'm going to commit to a set and com commit to that um development process you know i mean that's tens if not hundreds of hours of uh you know exploring memory addresses and uh, troubleshooting and uh, learning the process. And I really want to be able to go at that full bore. So I think that maybe that is something for the future for me, but I'm just not quite there yet mentally. Um, but I did want to kind of dive into a little bit of some things that, you know, cause I'm talking about um, things that have held me back a little bit and that have kind of gotten in the way of what I'm doing. And so, you know, for a lot of people, this is a really negative subject um, so I just want to clarify, you know, things happen, you know, we all have personal lives, we all have goals, we all have, um, you know, a lot of the time jobs or commitments, obligations that we have to fulfill outside of retro achievements. And so, um, you know, with, with that being said, uh, I have been having some controller issues lately. Um, a lot of people know the controller that I'm using and I'm, I'm not using the segment to badmouth them. I'm just kind of talking about my personal experiences. Maybe our audience can, um, share some of their personal experiences in the comments, but I've been using the same controller for a very long period of time. Um, it's the 8-bit Doe SN, uh, 30, uh, 30 pro plus edition. And, um, these controllers are great. You know, they're $50 controllers. They're really, I mean, that's pretty expensive for a controller, right? That's, that's not uh, a small chunk of change to put out for a controller. And, um, I've been having some issues with it. Um, that's kind of held me back a little bit to kind of tie into what I was talking about before. Um, I am a controller fiend. I have a, just an, I don't want to uh, use, you know, bad language, but I have a, I have a, a lot, I have a ton of controllers. I have like an N64 uh, controller that I use like a Mayflash adapter to connect via USB. I've got like a Logitech F310. I've got an iBuffalo um, SNES clone. You know, I've got a good number of controllers. That's kind of what I'm really big on is having the right hardware in your hands and feeling like, um, you're in full control of the game, and I'm sure that some of our audience can probably speak to that too. As a matter of fact, you know, um, 
if you want and you're somebody that listens to this podcast, I would love, I would absolutely love to hear in the comments um, what controllers everybody is using to play on retro achievements. That's one of the things that I'm always curious about. And what I always ask my friends about is what, you know, what controller are you using to play all these games with? Do you use different controllers for different systems and so on and so forth? And so um, anyway, uh, to get back to my story with my controller issues, the 8-bit Doe SN30 uh, Pro Plus, um, a lot of the times about 6 to 12 months into the life cycle, the controller, sometimes the A, B, X, Y buttons can get jammed. Um, there's YouTube videos that you can look up where you can take apart the controller and put it back together. Um, and the engineering in the controller is immaculate. You know, when you take apart the controller and you put it back together, you really... I mean, it's, it's insane. Um, you know, I can get into a little bit of a side story about how uh, I took the controller apart once and I didn't realize that the A, B, X, and Y buttons, um, they're all supposed, supposed to go in specific slots. They all have a little teeny notch, a little tiny plastic notch on the end of the controller that tells you, okay, the A needs to go in the A, the B needs to go in the B. If you're somebody that's into engineering or taking things apart and putting them back together, you're probably just going to troll the he the heck out of me <laughs> in the comments. But, um, you know, I didn't realize this for a while. So I took the part, the controller, maybe 10, 15, 20 times before I realized, okay, A has to go into A. You can't just put A, B, X, Y into any of the different um, slots and it's just going to work. Um, so... I, I was able to fix because I had like my my B button jamming after a while, which a lot of people have reported with this particular controller. Um, and again, I don't want to discourage anyone from buying, you know, a higher end controller. It's just these are things that, you know, I've talked to probably half a dozen people that they've experienced with 8-bit dough controllers that, um, you know, you might end up dealing with. And I don't, maybe, maybe, uh, sizzle or bendy, you guys can lighten me on other controllers that don't have hardware issues, you know, six to 12 months in the life cycle of purchasing the controller. But if you're somebody that likes to tinker, kind of likes to mess with things, then it shouldn't be a huge problem for you. But, you know, looked up a YouTube video, took apart the controller, put it back together. Uh, now my buttons are good, but to speak to my more recent issue that I had, um, I had an issue where the controller, the D-pad was just mushy. You know, I'm literally just, I'm getting like a hard left input and I'm not even pressing anything. And so when I first got into Raspberry Pi and kind of um, getting into retro achievements in general, I think I ordered like a, a controller called like a Kidiwata. And there was a deal where you could get 20 you pay $20 and you get two of them for 20 bucks which seems you know you pay for what you get I mean they were cheap the buttons got mushy right away almost and it was not good but I was able to take the pad the rubber pad from my Kidiwata and take apart my 8-bit dough and then throw the rubber pad from my Kidiwata my little cheap uh, $10 controller into my 8-bit dough and it works like brand new. Like I could put the controller up to the microphone now on the button. I mean, you would just know that crisp D-pad sound when all the up, down, left, and right inputs all feel separate and they all feel great. And so um, 
you know, you guys, again, we're kind of talking about some trials and tribulations and different struggles that we've gone through. So I don't mean to kind of jump all over the place of the subject, but that's just something that I've recently experienced that has kind of been um, kind of a sore subject for me, to be honest, because I love the 8-bit dough controllers. Um, you know, again, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, please feel free to type into the comments what you utilize as a controller, because I'm really curious to see what other people use and kind of what your experience has been overall, because the controller is your gateway to retro achievements, right? Like that's your biggest thing is how you play on retro achievements. So I would just be really curious to kind of see, um, you know, what people's thoughts are on that and kind of get their input in regards to how they enjoy the site with their controller, because, you know, a lot of people have different preferences about inputs and things like that. But at the end of the day, that's that's a big factor to your success and how you do on the website is having the right controller in your hands. So I'm actually a big I think I mentioned it before, but I think I'm I'm a big fanatic about controllers. I've um, I know some people, some users use the keyboard as their controller, but I typically go for the controller because that's what I kind of grew up with, with the PlayStation and the um game boys ds's and i just that the feel of the controller is really nice and um i actually have on my wish list the 8-bit dough controller you were talking about and it sounds pretty serious i mean it sounds like i need to keep a lookout for it but at the same time i'm thinking about changing my controller right now because i mean right now i have two different controllers i've been using off and on the uh xbox one duke xbox original controller which is basically the mold and the shell of a original xbox controller which are super big and a lot of people think i'm crazy for handling it but it, it just it feels really nice and the buttons feel really nice to press there's a nice d-pad there it's just the triggers feel nice the bumpers are kind of weird because they're not they were never there to begin with they kind of were just added on for the xbox one but um it's a really good controller it's just super bulky and super big but at the same time, it's like it gives you that space. Um, and the second controller, I mentioned a bunch between, um, you know, Discord calls and streaming and everything else, is my uh, Steam controller. And I don't know if they make them anymore. I don't know if they're going to make any more. What they plan on doing. But it's a really unique controller. It has the uh, bumpers that you can get for different PlayStation mods or Xbox mods. But also, it has two touchpad discs as a D-pad and a right kind of area. Like, it has the original buttons, has a joystick, but it has two circular touchpad discs. And those are really unique and interesting. Um, but at the same time, I don't use that as often for retro games because it doesn't have an actual D-pad. It doesn't have uh, buttons that you can just press all at once. It, you, it's just a disc. And once you press the top side, that's all you can press. It's just a circular thing. And that could be an issue. But at the same time, um, you can do a lot of interesting, crazy stuff. You can reprogram the controller inside of Steam. And I would recommend this good controller if you like configuring controls a lot. If you like re rebinding different combinations and different combos of different controllers um for for example like world of warcraft you can probably play world of warcraft on that steam controller and still be able to use all your functions you know you can set up a menu on the touchpad 
you can set up like a hotkey selection you can set up the bumpers to bring up a different menu there's there's so much detail into this control and how it's made and what the software it's used for you can do a lot of crazy stuff um there was once a moment of time back when i was still playing modern games a lot more i was playing elite dangerous and that game has a bunch of different macros and a bunch of different setups and um I spent like three hours controlling my controller and making sure it's set up just the way I like it, where I can just, you know, maneuver my spacecraft in all different directions. And I remember setting up the, the, the landing gear as a hotkey. So whenever I press like a certain combination of buttons, I would be able to land it perfectly and instantly rather than everyone else would be like, Oh, you have to set up this voice command. You have to press these buttons. You have to press G uh, some other keys and I'm just like, why don't I just take my steam controller and put one single button. So I have to do that once. And then it'll just, you know, put me into the landing position. And that part of the controller is really fun and interesting. Almost kind of like making a set for RA. Um, but like I said before, the thing I really wish that it had was a D pad, like a removable D pad or something to give me that retro feel. Otherwise, it would be the best controller that you can possibly get on the market. Um, but instead, I have to like think about other ways of playing retro games because it doesn't have a proper D-pad. And that's why I kind of went over to the 8 community and see what they have. And um, it seems like the uh, SN30 Plus seems like the best thing to do. But from what you said, it sounds kind of serious. And maybe I should you know, look out for it whenever I get it. Yeah, it's just it's a little bit of maintenance, six to twelve months, and and there are videos to take it apart. But that I just want to caution people. I mean, that is you know probably the Ritz Carlton of controllers as far as the amount you'll pay for it. I mean, fifty bucks is a lot of money um, for most people. So you know, just something to be cautious about if you're not willing to take it apart six to twelve months into owning it, then that might not necessarily be the controller for you to troubleshoot. So yeah. That's interesting that you bring up the Steam controller. Uh, I actually own one as well, though admittedly mine has been sort of uh, gathering dust for a couple years now. Uh, for the reasons you listed, I don't use it for retro. But yeah, it's really the most amazingly configurable controller. Like, there is so much customization you could do with that thing. The thing is, it's also a very unconventional controller. There's kind of a steep learning curve. You can't just pick it up and be like, oh, this is similar to the controllers I'm used to. No, it's it's an entirely new learning thing. I, I think the idea behind the Steam controller is you're supposed to be able to play pretty much any mouse and keyboard game with just a controller. Are things like uh, first-person games where you would normally you know, look around with a mouse well, moving the little touchpad is supposed to feel like a mouse. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's a love it or hate it controller. I just, I thought it was funny you brought it up because I haven't thought about the Steam controller in years. And it's just, uh, it's like the most unique controller. People who love it, they swear by it. And then other people, which is probably most people, say uh, a lot of people just hate it. A lot of people can just never get used to it. I, I think I fall somewhere in the middle, leaning toward the don't-really-care-for-it camp. But uh, again, for certain games, for certain types of games, if you don't want to use mouse and keyboard, which, you know, I don't have the best mouse dexterity, personally. So for certain games, it could actually be quite good. Just very situational and very steep learning curve, for sure. 
That's one hundred percent correct, Benny. It's a really steep learning curve, but um, I mean, I guess I go into the camp of I really bide behind it. Um, but at the same time, I see myself going away from it sometimes. Going back to my Xbox controller. Um, I also have PlayStation controllers, but the Duke is just really connected to me for some reason. It's just I need a. It's just it doesn't feel like any other controller that I've ever used. But um, yeah, I mean the Steam controller is pretty nice. It does have its up and downs. I'm not saying that everyone should get a Steam controller, but I would recommend you at least try it. And um, I didn't know, know you had a Steam controller, Bendy. That's pretty interesting. Um, for retro games, it's kind of interesting. Uh, like, you know, most retro games have limited amount of buttons. It's not like you have, like, a bunch of buttons you have to set up. But um, in recent months, I was playing um, like Wing Commander on the Sega CD, and that's also another space game, like Elite Dangerous. And there's a bunch of different combinations of buttons you gotta do. Like, you gotta press uh, the B button, and then up and down for your throttle. You gotta press the C button and the start button for the uh, right side of your screen. Uh, a and start for the left side of your screen. You gotta press certain buttons to go use your hyperdrive to stop. It was really interesting and really confusing. And I was like, what if I just take this and put it towards my Steam controller? And see what I can do there, and that made it much of it made it like such a good, awesome experience that I could just map all these different like combinations to these different buttons, and I can make a menu inside of the touchpad, and make it so that I can just like press two different buttons to advance on the different screens of um of data, and I can just like press a button. Oh, I go super fast and go to my next position in the game. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear you guys talk about um, controllers because I just feel so, like, standardized, I guess you could say, because so many people use the 8-bit dough um, or, you know, like a PS4 controller or an Xbox 360 controller or one of those controllers. And so anytime I hear about somebody who's got like that, like I know, Bendy, you're using like a, an unusual controller it's always just really interesting to hear about your guys' experiences and why you personally like the controller, like what your history is with it. Um, especially because we all have different preferences, but you know, there are a lot of people that find that um, with, with uh, more obscure controllers, that's just what they're used to. And so even if they were to switch to what might be, you know, maybe more of an ergonomic or better controller for them, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's just what they know and what they're comfortable with. And so that kind of brings me into our next topic a little bit. Um, uh, again, I'm just going to clarify this as I did at the beginning of the show that this is very speculative. Um, none of us have any, uh, inkling into what the next systems that might be released on retro achievements are, but for the sake of, um, kind of talking about it. Um, you know, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the GameCube and the potential, uh, the potential of what it could mean if the GameCube was to come to RA in the future and, um, the controller for the GameCube, you know, as we have been talking about controllers a lot is very, very interesting because a lot of people kind of love it or hate it. The GameCube controller, um, and then also, you know, one of the most requested games 
I think for the website in total at this point, I'm not just talking about systems specifically. I'm talking about total requests is for like Super Mario Sunshine. Maybe you guys can elaborate a little bit on that. I'm not too up to date on the requests um, and what the top requests are, but the GameCube certainly has a very unique layout in terms of the controller. It's got a lot of games that are, um, uh, I mean, Childhood Memories is putting it lightly in terms of, uh, you know, what what people really enjoyed back then. Because the GameCube has a very special place in a lot of people's hearts. Um, I've always found the controller to be, because uh, I, so I want to, let me just start with my history, I guess, on GameCube a little bit. Um, I never owned one. I uh, went over to friends' houses, and I had some great memories of playing, like, Smash Bros., um, I think, like, Melee, and, you know, some of the other games on GameCube on it, but um, I ne- don't have a lot of personal history with the GameCube, so I'm going to kind of rely on you guys a little bit more just to kind of get your guys' takes on, you know, maybe maybe starting off with you, Bendy, because I know you've got a really rich, rich history with the GameCube and what it means to you, you know, maybe some of your favorite games, a childhood memories, and then maybe what it would mean to you a little bit to have that system implemented into the Retro Achievements website and actually be able to grind those achievements for that game. Or for that system, rather, excuse me. Yeah, personally, I absolutely love the GameCube. Uh, I got one way back in the day. I don't think I got it launch day, but I got it like... I believe it was the Christmas after launch. So I think I had a little bit of time had passed. It had some games by that point. But uh, before I get too deep into that, I guess let's start by talking about the controller. It seems like that's where the conversation is headed. Let's just keep it rolling. The GameCube controller is, on one hand, it's unique. It's unique in the sense of if you compare it to something like, you know, a modern traditional controller like you'd see from PlayStation or uh, Microsoft or even an, something like an 8-bit dough, it's got a very unique layout. Like, it, it kind of has the diamond face buttons, but not really. It's a little bit different. Like, the, the B button is off to the side and smaller, and then the Y and X are, like, above and to the side, and they're weird shapes. Uh, it's got the weird super tiny C stick that doesn't really feel as great as a typical analog stick. It's got really nice triggers. I love the L and R buttons. And it's just, it's it's a weird controller compared to a traditional controller. But compared to the other Nintendo controllers, it's like the most traditional controller they've ever put out. Obviously not including things like uh, the Switch Pro Controller, the Wii U Pro Controller. But uh, up until that point we had things like well i mean i guess something like super nintendo or nes is pretty traditional but then we had the weird n64 controller and then after that we had the weird uh wii remote and it's like this is a kind of traditional controller but with this weird nintendo twist and i think the thing that everyone talks about when they think of the gamecube controller their mind immediately goes to super smash brothers right Even to this day, even with Smash Ultimate, there are so many people where the GameCube controller is just their preferred way of playing that game. That is just the Smash controller. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to me that, like, if I I could play GameCube games via emulation, I could play, you know, Sunshine or Paper Mario or any of the mini classics, and I could play them with something more traditional like an Xbox controller. 
but there's something about Smash in particular where the GameCube controller just feels right. So I, I want to throw it back to you guys. Do you have any other thoughts on the GameCube controller itself? Or maybe you want to start jumping into uh, particular games or memories you have? Just, you know, whatever thoughts you have. I'm interested in hearing from you guys. Yeah, well, I always thought it was interesting the layout of the controller because, like I said, I didn't personally own one, but I had friends that literally had, you know, the GameCube at the si- at the same time as the PS2 and so on and so forth. And so we did play a lot of Smash. Um, you know, I think the controller, um, kind of like the N64 controller, it feels a little bit unnatural at first because this is kind of when video games were... I mean, I don't want to say developing is the right word, but they were kind of finding a universal um, uh, controller that works really well for the majority of people that are using it. And so Nintendo, you know, they've always kind of been a little bit off the wall um, with how they do things. They always try to be unique and stand out. And I, I again, I, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, for people that, you know, I grew up with the N64, so I played with that weird, awkward, like, three-handle controller for a while. Um, and I'm sure people who are a little bit more familiar with things are familiar with the Trident, like, Wave controller, I think is what it's called. It's kind of like a mix-up or a remix on the N64 controller. Uh, maybe the Wave Bird, yeah, maybe that's it. Um I can't remember the specific name of it, but it's called like the Trident or something like that. But that's always been kind of an interesting controller. So to, to kind of make some comments on, um, you know, just the overall layout, Nintendo has always kind of gone in a different direction with the layout, but um, you know, I think there are a lot of people that just really like that layout and, you know, maybe it's just something where you get used to it and everything just clicks for you. Um, I know for me, I didn't like the GameCube controller, but I also didn't don't have that kind of attachment that you guys uh, do with the system. I know that Sizzle um, played a decent amount more than I did, so maybe he has some kind of uh, input on just his experience with it. But for me, it was not necessarily a great experience. But you know what the funny thing is, is the N64 controller, once you got used to it, it was pretty okay. So I'm pretty sure if I had had a GameCube and had it for long enough, I probably would have felt the same way as well. I feel like the connections between the N64 controller and the GameCube are pretty close. Um, I will say that I have used the N64 in recent times rather than the GameCube controller. Um, I was also thinking that the GameCube, uh, the N64 controller is kind of a mix-up of th- two different controllers. There's the D-pad on one side, and then the bottom part is the thumbstick. You know, it's one of those early controllers before the PlayStation and Xbox and that GameCube. Um, but I think overall, it's just a combination of what what can we do here and add a third component. You know, what you know, I know some games use the D-pad for some games. I think like Tetris and those simple games. Uh, and then they, then some people only use the analog stick for some games. And I always thought that was really weird because I would often play different games. You know, swapping out the cartridges for one game that used the analog stick, and then oh wait, this one has a D-pad controller. You know, you just it was always also it was it was also interesting on how they worked around that and it felt like two different controllers in your hands and not to say that was a bad thing it was just a really interesting take on it 
Um, but as for the GameCube controller, I haven't used it much for retro games, but I know a lot of people like the controller, like the layout, um, the triggers. Um, I Some people like this, some people don't like this. I don't know. Um, but uh, the triggers have like these adaptive functions to them where if you press uh, harder on them, they... Um, it's kind of like an analog stick where they have like um X and Y value or a X value on how hard you're pressing it. And there's like a second click you can do inside the control, which functions as another input. And some people like that kind of situation for like um Super Sunshine. Like if you press the trigger a certain amount, you can um use your water at a farther length than with just holding it down properly or pulling it down all the way. And um, sometimes it's like, oh, you have to charge it. So you have to press slightly on it and then you press hard on it to do the actual function of the of the item. And I think that's another thing that everyone likes a lot about the controller. And uh, as for Gink, uh, uh, as for Super Smash Bros. Melee, uh, people like redesigning the controller, putting little notches in it for modding the controller, making it unique making it cool looking or just, you know, quite out weird because they just want to do like these certain awesome techniques. And, um, I remember looking at some kind of documentary about this and how there's a proper way to get your controller set up, get all your control modded. And, um, the lifespan is kind of up and down with it after you do that kind of stuff, but you have to put certain notches in certain corners and you have to make sure that your analog stick is at its potential. And, uh, Make sure the dead zones are correct on it. And um, I guess <laughs> there's like different mods and stuff where it's crazy. Um, same with the the right stick or the C stick. You know, that was a really interesting thing. It was just, you know, like kind of like a nub. It wasn't like a big giant analog stick like we have now. Um, it was just kind of like this little tiny like nub you can find like on those keyboards. Um, same with the D-pad. The D-pad is kind of small. Um, I think for retro games, I don't think it'd be really nice to play with, but I guess maybe some people like that. I don't know. I never really found myself using it in, um, GameCube games, but I know when, uh, my friend had the Legend of Zelda collection, um, that was kind of useful for that kind of stuff. Um, I could see some people using it for like menus and stuff, but maybe not for playing retro games. I feel like as long as we're talking about the GameCube, you know, talking about the controller is fun and all, but we really got to delve into the games because, wow, what an incredible library. And I feel like a good starting point is, you know, the first party games, specifically the Mario games, because Mario games are a big deal on any Nintendo console, right? And I feel like the GameCube is this console where Nintendo and also the third parties who did the spinoffs, they put out some really weird and bizarre Mario games. And I feel like the weirdness of these games really is what makes them so memorable. So here's what I mean when I say that. Think about like, okay, the, the SNES, we have Super Mario World as a launch title. N64, we have Super Mario 64 as a launch title. What was the big uh, Mario game at the beginning of the GameCube? It was Luigi's Mansion, which is just, 
this was an era when Nintendo was taking all of these weird risks with Mario games. Think about it. You have Luigi's Mansion, which is just such a bizarre way of showing off the console, but honestly, it shows off the strengths of the console pretty well. You have the dual analog stuff going on. It uses the triggers well. It has amazing graphics for the time. And then even as the console went on, you know, you'd expect Mario to do a safe, you would expect Nintendo to do a safe follow-up to Mario 64. Everyone wanted a new 3D Mario. And then they do Sunshine, which is so weird and different. Uh, even something like Paper Mario is kind of weird and different. Like the, the, the plot of that game, some of the jokes and some of the tone is like weirdly adult or weirdly dark at times. And it just kind of works. But I, I think some of my favorite examples of this weirdness and experimental nature of the era are uh, some of the Mario spinoffs. Like Mario Golf Toadstool Tour, for example, one of my absolute favorite things about that game is the characters are kind of jerks in that game. So when you're playing multiplayer, you have the option to either compliment or taunt your opponent during their turn. So like, you know, you'll hear Mario shout out like, miss, when he wants you to miss a shot. Or you'll hear Luigi go, you look ridiculous. And it's just, it's so funny seeing these Mario characters who are supposed to be all friendly, just like act like absolute jerks to each other. And I feel like that's like the GameCube era was just the Wild West for Nintendo's IPs. Uh, Super Mario Strikers is another big one. Like, that was a totally different take on the Mario characters, just the art style alone and how animated they are. And I feel like you look at Mario and Nintendo's big IPs now, and they're very controlled. They're very reined in and what you're allowed to do with these characters. And I think that this is a big part of why the GameCube era is so memorable, because so many of these games are just weird, different, and just unlike anything else in their series yeah for sure i mean um you know that was kind of an interesting generation of consoles right because you had um you had microsoft taking their first venture into consoles right with the xbox um you had sony taking their second venture in with the playstation 2 which i'm if i'm not mistaken is the best-selling console of all time um and then you have nintendo kind of just doing their own thing and um experimenting with the gamecube and i think that's why there's almost this like s tier to maybe not f tier but like there's these high quality s tier because they were just they were unhinged right they were willing to take so many different risks in order to see you know what clicked with their audience and what didn't um you know if we're talking about the comparison for because i am somebody that grew up with like the Xbox and eventually quite, I mean, quite, quite late into its life cycle, uh, you know, when the PS2 was becoming dated at times, but the PS2 also had a number of great titles, but I think, I think you're right, Bendy. I think this, um, this wild West period for Nintendo was certainly uh, pretty fascinating because, you know, nowadays uh, I'm not saying that they're not willing to take risks, but I do feel like, um, you know, they're a little bit more pulled back, right? They're a little more buttoned up, right? They're not willing to take as many risks. Is that is that kind of fair to say that they're not willing to take as many risks? They kind of know what works and what doesn't. They probably have, you know, regurgitated and calculated their numbers a hundred million times to one, but they're still willing to kind of put themselves out there a little bit. 
Um, Nintendo is always kind of that company, I feel like, that as opposed to Sony and Microsoft is willing to put themselves a little bit more out there. But let's just say that the out there isn't as out there as it used to be. Is that kind of somewhere in the neighborhood of what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So I feel like um, in terms of, you know, that that uh, that exploratory era is almost what you would call it. That exploratory era was really good, but it would almost be refreshing if there was a renaissance of that era, in my opinion. Um, you know, being that it's 2021, um, game development companies and publishers and, you know, even the hardware manufacturers, it feels like they're not willing to take as many risks because they're, you know, everything's a number to them, right? Everything's how much do we sell? How much do we lose? What's our popularity? What are people going to like? What are they not going to like? Um, but that, uh, it's, it's almost lost upon us. I feel like a little bit that exploratory era of let's just try this. You guys, I think it's cool. Let's just try it. Let's see if it works. And like, that's such a carefree attitude and such a loose attitude, but you know, some titles were born, bred and succeeded upon literally just having a carefree attitude and saying, this is just fun. Like, this is just what. I mean, this is just fun. People can just pick up the controller and just have fun with this. And um, I, that's one of the reasons is I can't get into modern games as much. There's nothing, you know, I can't fault them for what they're doing because they, you know, they base things upon empirical data, but they're too safe. They play it too safe. And that's one of the most exciting things about indie game companies these days is these indie game companies, you know, these Steam independent releases a lot of the time is, they're willing to put themselves out there on a plate hundred percent say, you know, kill us or make us successful. But this is what we believe in. This is what we stand by. And this is what we truly feel is fun, a fun user experience. So um, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you say that, you know, uh, these, this wild West era has kind of come and gone. And I hope that maybe we see this in the future again, when, you know, a next generation of consoles comes out where, there's really these out there concepts that really work that people aren't familiar with, but you know, everything's remixed, everything's remade, everything's remastered. And so um, I almost feel like this may, this may not happen ever again, but boy, was it a time to be alive, right? Absolutely, dude. I am all for any sort of Renaissance, any sort of comeback of this style of game. I'd be all over that. And, you know, that's that's kind of the classic thing about Nintendo is for better or worse, they march by the beat of their own drum. They don't do what the other guys are doing. Sometimes, like some of these GameCube games we've been talking about, that risk really, really pays off. In other cases, you know, it's really to their detriment. It's really holding back their, their company decisions and their games and stuff. But uh, I think you make a good point about this idea, like, it feels like time for a renaissance, a revival, because we're getting to that point where the GameCube is old enough that people are starting to feel really nostalgic for it. The way that, you know, N64 was a little bit back and SNES before that, all that. And it's weird too, because it almost feels like revisionist history when we talk about how great the GameCube was. Because if we look in terms of sales figures, the GameCube would probably be considered a failure. It, pretty much anyone would argue that the PS2 was the clear winner of that generation. And yet, as all these years have passed, as we uh, 
think back to our childhoods and stuff, we get all of these nostalgic memories and we're like, man, the GameCube was actually pretty great. Why didn't we appreciate it more at the time? And yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't think the solutions, like these companies, they want to capitalize on nostalgia, right? Of course they do. But I don't think the solution is doing things like, hey, we re-released Super Mario Sunshine. Now you can play it and a couple other games for $60. We didn't really change anything. It's just widescreen now. But, you know, enjoy. You guys love the GameCube, right? Like, that that's not what we mean when we're talking about a renaissance. But I feel like there's a lot of untapped potential there. There's just such a big, such a great library of games. Not just the first part. I mean, we've barely... We've barely scratched the surface of this topic. There's so many other both first-party and third-party titles we could go into that just so, so good. Uh, Sizzle, I want to turn it over to you. What's on your mind, man? I was going to recap about how I think there will be a renaissance of you know these kind of out-of-the-wild out kind of experiences with different games. Um, in my mind, I'm thinking you know the, indis the uh, indie industry is like booming right now and i think it might be because a bunch of these gamers who played the gamecube are now getting into game development and i think um some of those kind of concepts are flowing into this kind of weird industry of indie games and not a lot of you know companies you know go into that industry of the indie titles but I mean, Nintendo has kind of opened arms, and Sony has too with some of their titles. And I want to say Microsoft has too. But um, overall, I think we have those platforms that are coming in. I've looked on Twitter. There's a bunch of different game shots and or game game footage about these different 3D platforms. Like one that was really popular was Ahead in Time. That game kind of revolves around the whole Mario and Banjo and Kazooie and different genres of collectathons. And I think that's part of the, you know, beginning of the renaissance of the, you know, maybe it won't be that it's just the starting point. And then sooner or later, we have more games um, like there's just a lot of different things like there's different ideas, the different, you know, genres and out of field, you know, topics that indie games can go forward. And I think that soon enough, I think we'll be seeing some kind of, you know, renaissance of these kind of things you know with the upbringing of um the old rare company doing some more stuff with uh ukulele you know that kind of you know was a hit or miss but i think they're working on it and they i think they want to do more stuff with that concept and maybe may make another game that's more towards banjo and kazooie you know you got the shovel knight you know there's um there's a lot of these platformers that are coming back but I feel like a lot of other things are coming back too, like the art style, the uh, 3D kind of like pixel art is coming back with the Project uh, Triangle. That's kind of interesting. Um, that was kind of like in the PlayStation era, the PlayStation 1 era kind of thing with the RPGs. And same with the Octopath, Octopath Traveler. That was kind of in that style. Um, but uh, overall, I think the GameCube was a really cool kind of weird open west um just my take on it i know you guys are talking back and forth about it but it's it's it was really really wild and not what games you can think about you know another first party game i want to mention is pikmin pikmin is kind of like one of those out of you know the wild kind of ideas where you are an astronaut from a different planet or like an alien per se if you want to 
whichever perspective you want to take on it, but you meet these creatures that um, help you out and try to rebuild your ship because you crash landed on this planet that you have no idea about. And it's just, it's coming out of left field and you're like, it's, it's kind of like a, um, it's like a tactical, you know, exploratory game where you have to like, you know, move your troops around it's, and, uh, you know, it's cutesy. It's really cool. It's really wild. And you're just like, what is this game? You're just like, how does this game work? How do, what's the story behind this game? It's so create creative and you just keep playing and it's one of these out wild experiences. Um, another idea that I want to mention before I pass it over to shoot, um, is Chibi Robo. Chibi Robo is this like cleaning up simulator before even simulators were even invented. Like now we have these like PC builders, car builders, uh, fixer up house simulators. But this game was like the pure original simulator where you have to play as this robot and you can clean up this house and you can earn points for cleaning up this house. There'd be like different uh, missions and different enemies you can fight and experience you can help out the the citizens of the, of the house. You can help out the toys of the house, kind of like Toy Story. And they would give you different quests and missions and you can still clean up this house for this family that lives inside the house, but also go outside and um, do this kind of weird stuff. And um, that game was really awesome when I was younger. And I feel like this is kind of like the same way as with indie titles. You know, people who've played these GameCube games are starting to realize like, hey, I can make something completely out of left field and maybe people will like it. You know, what if, what if I just tried this out, made this game and see what people like about it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you guys are really kind of hitting it a, a really good central point. Just that, um, you know, maybe because of um, maybe even the pandemic or people just have so many ideas that they're internalizing, but they're not putting out there that, you know, they're really maybe this, you know, like you said, Sizzle, this second renaissance is coming, maybe. And I would really love to see something like that, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm really stuck in this mindset that um, everything's been remixed and remastered and redone. And I kind of hate that, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know a good way to put it, but I don't like that. I want to see these companies have this independence and this freedom and this budget even, you know, a lot of the times, unfortunately, money is an obstacle, but have this ability to really put themselves out there and put themselves on the line. But if they, if they strike it big, like they strike it big and they just do well and they flourish. And, um, I will say, I think it's such a difficult market, you know, to get exposure to your game and to put it in a light where people, um, are even interested in it because I mean, there's, you know, tens of thousands of games that are coming out all the time. And so it's really difficult to put it, put your game out there and put it in a light where people are really going to enjoy it. But I think these unique concepts that have this viral kind of energy about them are uh, coming back a little bit. And I'm hopeful, 
you know, I mean, based on the way you guys talk about it, I mean, you guys, I think, are a little bit more knowledgeable about this topic than me. I'm a little bit more of a stick in the mud about retro and just kind of stuck in my own ways and enjoying retro because, um, you know, there's just such a treasure trove of things to enjoy with retro. But I think at the end of the day, you know, maybe you guys are onto something and that maybe maybe the second renaissance is coming about. I really hope so, because if you guys are right, then um, we're in for probably the greatest experience of our lifetimes. You know, we're all around the same age, pretty close. So it's possible that all three of us are in for uh, just an insane adventure, right? We're in for an insane adventure of the next generation of gaming. And I think virtual reality, maybe um, I'm not saying it had to do a lot with that, but I'm, I think virtual reality had kind of its own little hand to play and experiences and treating the user to something that's a little more interactive and a little more intense than we're used to. But um, I think virtual reality has had a little bit of its hand in that as well. But this second renaissance is, it might be coming about. You guys, you guys might or might not be uh, slowly but surely convincing me over the course of our discussion about this, that there's something here, you know, there's something magic happening and we just kind of have to wait and see what's going to come about. A couple other things uh, I've been just thinking about as I listen to you guys talk about GameCube specifically is, one, it's difficult to overstate just how big of a jump it was going from N64 to GameCube. And two, I think there's an argument to be made that a lot of Nintendo's series, a lot of their big first-party offerings may have kind of peaked in the GameCube era. So hear me out, right? All right, F-Zero. Consider how big of a jump there is from F-Zero-X to F-Zero-GX. GX is probably the pinnacle of the series, and then that series has been dead since then. Think about Paper Mario. Pretty big jump going from N64 Paper Mario to Thousand Year Door, arguably the pinnacle of the series, and then Paper Mario has been taken in some weird direction since then. Even something like Mario Party. We had a bunch of Mario Parties on the GameCube, still following the classic formula, and now with the new Mario parties, they kind of veered toward a different formula that most people don't like as much. Another example, Metroid Prime. Metroid had such a strong uh, segue into 3D with Metroid Prime 1 and 2. And then Metroid is another series that's kind of dead these days. So I think that all adds to the reasons why people are so nostalgic for the GameCube is they think about these series they love and the last game they really loved in the series, whether or not the series is still going on today, was on the GameCube. The Wii, love it or hate it, was a very kind of different direction for Nintendo. And a lot of series started kind of shifting away from their norms or dying altogether in the case of things like met well metroid well there's metroid prime 3 i suppose well i guess in the case of things like f-zero just ended up dying altogether so it's like nintendo had this shift in philosophy after the gamecube era and i think a lot of people are nostalgic for that philosophy they had during the gamecube era um but like you guys have said I feel like at this point, it's kind of up to the indie devs to really keep this train rolling. And we've seen we've seen a little bit of that. Uh, I think Sizzle brought up some great points with the revival of 3D collectathons with things like Ukulele and Hat in Time. Uh, as far as the classic Paper Mario games, well, we have bug fables for that. 
And it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see indie devs try their take on something like Metroid Prime or F-Zero GX. I would not be surprised if we saw that soon. Like, it's... The indie devs are nostalgic about these games, just like they all are, but the big guys don't want to take the financial risk to make something like this. So it's just... It's a weird state of gaming we're in right now, but man, I love the GameCube, you guys. It's so good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, like you said, we're in this weird state. Um, I think, I again, I don't want to, you know, bring this back to the pandemic, but I certainly think the pandemic has had its uh, impact on release dates, um, you know, influence of titles and as far as like what's going to come out. Um, and it's just really weird, man, to feel like this, to feel like we're in this uh, really flux period. I mean, this is not, you know, I mean, this is a period of time that's what, at least unique to 100 years in terms of uh, the cultural influence that it's had and, you know, what the challenges that people are having to experience and overcome. And it's really unique to see how that's washed across the game industry and affected the decisions that these big companies are making. And I almost want to say that it's, um, you know, it's kind of changed the way that even the small companies are thinking about doing things and the way that they market uh, the titles that they're putting out and things like that. And, uh, you know, again, you guys keep talking about this renaissance and, um, I'm the biggest skeptic in the world, but if ever, if ever there was a time, if ever there was a time, the time is now, you know, I think everybody's on kind of an even playing ground. And I think that, uh, as people that are consumers of a lot of games, we all have our opinions and our own takes and some of them good, some of them bad, whatever have you. But, um, I think that we're just in this really unique time period that is not, it's not forever. And so I'm really curious to see what comes out of this. And obviously the pandemic is bad. You know, that's, <laughs> that it's been a horrible experience for pretty much everybody involved. Um, you know, people have lost family, they've lost loved ones, um, jobs, uh, the economy is just in the tank, but um the silver lining, I think, if you could if you could see the silver lining for what it is in the gaming industry, is that um, there's been this almost unique uh, path that the gaming industry is taking. That uh, I don't let's let's just say that uh, the pandemic didn't happen and that everything proceeded as normal. That we might have never otherwise experienced. Again, the pandemic is you know it's a horrible thing that's happened, and uh, I really wish it never had, but we're seeing this almost like this, you know, when you would watch a DVD back in the day and they'd have like the alternate ending or whatever, like this is the alternate ending that we're seeing that, um, you know, might, might give us some insight into the future and to, uh, might've otherwise opened up paths that were never otherwise thought possible. I mean, there are, you know, businesses that have formed out of this, uh, time of hardship. And there's also, a lot of unique concepts that have formed out outside of this um, time of hardship. And so I really hope that, you know, everyone that's struggling with this uh, pandemic right now, everyone that's in a bad position, I hope that ultimately we're all able to move forward and to put ourselves in a position where, uh, 
we are able to take away something positive from it. And, you know, let's be honest, um, that, that unfortunately is not going to be the case for everybody. But if we could see a little bit of silver lining in this most difficult of times, it's just that maybe there's an alternate path that we never otherwise would have seen. That's all I'm saying at the end of the day. You you could say that it's kind of evolving the culture of uh, different thought processes in the way of, you know, what oh, what can we do to um, advertise this thing or advertise this or that? Or even like, you know, develop these kind of things, you know, because this whole, you know, this whole pandemic, I agree, is bad and stuff. But at the same time, we got all this different um, social, um, not social, uh, all this distancing uh, development where people can still work at home, but they are still working on this kind of stuff. And I know we had it before the pandemic and before that, but it wasn't super like as it is now. You know, we, there's a bunch of different people who work at, you know, different places in the world in different areas, but maybe if this whole thing didn't happen, we wouldn't have seen, um, the potential at some of the stuff and not everyone like, likes it. Not everyone, you know, is, you know, good at working from home rather than being in an office. But I feel like overall it's a different experience and maybe some people do like it. Maybe some people perform better and in the future, maybe there'll be this uh, kind of um, two sided experience where people can, you know, if they do better at home, they can work at home or if they do better at the office or whatever, they can do better at the office or, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, moving on to like, you know, the, the industry, I think um, advertising uh, people are more so advertising on social media more. And some people might think that is kind of cringy or like weird and um, different because of all these different uh, social, social, uh, social partners and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like, it's a different like way of uh, watching television too. Um, more people are going away from networks and um, live television and going on to streaming. And so that kind of way for the gaming industry, just to come back full circle, um, the gaming industry is kind of like, okay, well, we can't really advertise our games on television as much as anymore. We have to go through these uh, press conferences. We have to go through E3. We have to go through these live streams. And um, some people like Nintendo just started randomly posting um different uh series on twitter like the new paper mario game that came out that was just posted on twitter and everyone was like whoa look at this new thing you know all the attention was on that twitter account the same thing with nintendo directs you know playstation uh directs and uh soon enough xbox is probably gonna do the same thing but everyone has their full attention on this live um live stream or the social media you know with along with um the Sonic uh, Twitter, they're posting a bunch of different jokes and um, different information, but everyone has their eyes on it. They're always watching. They're always thinking like, hey, what's what's going to happen here? You know, um, I think it's just the evolution of the culture um, and not saying it's a, like a bad thing or at all. I'm just saying it's like a good thing. The, the silver lining here is that there is a different uh, connection between um, advertising where people are looking at stuff online 
rather than out outside. I mean, some people might say this to me, but I think because we're all inside and stuff like that. But overall, I think it's a good evolution. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, again, you know, it's a dark situation, but even the darkest, even in the darkest of rooms, there's still light that exists. Um, and so I think there are a lot of unique things that have come up by this industry. Uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about this for quite a while. Um, so we are probably going to, to wrap things up pretty soon, but Bendy, did you have any, anything to add before we, uh, get wrapped up with the show here? I just want to say one thing really quick. Quick closing topic. Going back to the GameCube, I, 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 we can't talk about the GameCube without talking about this. What was with the design of the console itself? I mean, the whole cube aesthetic was cool, but what was with the handle? Why did it have a handle? I have one theory about this, and I think it's more so about transportation, you know, because, I mean... Um... I remember growing up, there was a bunch of different ways that you can plug in your console or handheld or whatever to your car. Like, I remember going to some vans of my friends, and they would have a TV for some reason inside their van. It was really weird, but then I also remember trailers, like, it was either GameCube or maybe I'm thinking about Switch more. But either way, they had their transportation, they had the GameCube, and I think some, like, RV vans for camping and stuff had their GameCube already pre-installed and they were like oh you can also rent this gamecube if you want it um but also i think rental areas like um rental companies like um i want to say i don't know if it's a worldwide thing but family video and all these different blockbuster all these different companies um they could let you rent a gamecube and i think that might be a reason why the handle was existing because n64 was used as a rental system such as like the other consoles beforehand um but i think maybe this would be a better unique way to you know transport the system around with the handle the whole cube was so small it's such a small console that um definitely smaller than an xbox because those were super huge and who wants to carry on a whole big giant brick <laughs> yeah which is it's like the same thing with the playstation and um the new playstation 5 is super huge you, just the gamecube was super small that you could probably hand, hold it and you could just you know walk down the street to your friend's house and play sonic adventure 2 battle on it you know um it's just this i think maybe people were more outgoing and maybe nintendo was like oh we're gonna capitalize on this um market of you know transportation I know it's Nintendo is more so on maybe the Japanese um, marketplace more so than the worldwide marketplace at the time. But um, overall, I think the handle might have had something to do with, you know, transportation. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think that form factor at the time was, I mean, cause we're talking, you know, uh, many, many years ago. And I think form factor was a little bit ahead of its time because portability is such a big thing. I mean, you think about cell phones, right. And the direction that they went in and like sizzle was saying, you know, the other systems, I mean, the Xbox was a giant big box. Um, so, I mean, obviously you could pack it up and take it somewhere, but maybe Nintendo was trying to be a little bit too ahead of its time in terms of, uh, where they were going with things and having that handle. And uh, 
you know, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the time when you're thinking about, you're not even thinking about the chipsets or the architecture of these consoles, like the CPU architecture, and you're just thinking about the form factor, you know, who knows? I mean, it could have even been one of those things where, I mean, I'm sure if we Googled it, we'd probably get a pretty good explanation, but um, it could have just been like, I almost just picture it in kind of a joking way as let's just say the mold, the plastic molds were already made for the GameCube or whatever they were made of. And they're just like, well, the molds are already made. We spent, you know, like hundreds of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the molds. And uh, they're made now. So uh, I guess every GameCube's going to have a handle on it. <laughs> so no, but um, in, in all seriousness, it could have just been that, you know, maybe they thought that the form factor and the portability was a bigger thing. And who knows? I mean, you know, maybe people at the time uh found that feature very valuable although i'm kind of on bendy's side like just why <laughs> you know just just why was this a thing like why did they end up doing this so um i know when the ps2 slim came out for example i mean it was a pretty compact console you know xbox um i don't think they ever made a downsized console before they moved on to 360 i think it was always the same size as far as i know they didn't okay they didn't yeah so yeah, I mean, you know, Nintendo, they had the GameCube and it had the handle and PlayStation eventually had that slim, sleek, sexy version of it. And, uh, you know, Nintendo just, who knows, for whatever reason, they decided to go in that direction. Maybe our, our listeners in the comments can talk a little bit more about that. But um, at the end of the day, you know, that was such an insane generation of, of consoles and um, very unique, right? Like that shaped probably the next three, four or five plus generations of, um, you know, what we're experiencing today. And so it was honestly such a pleasure to talk to you both and for you both to uh, both you sizzle and Bendy to share your knowledge of the GameCube with me because I was an Xbox guy uh, growing up and then much later into the PS2 cycle, a PS2 guy. But it was fascinating to hear both of your guys' takes, especially you, Bendy, on just kind of that Wild West uh, perspective because it really kind of opened my mind and made me think a little bit about like, yeah, that kind of was, they were kind of just like, let's try this and see if it works uh, type of situation. So I definitely appreciate you both sharing kind of your unique insights on that and giving me a little bit more of a broader perspective on kind of, uh, you know, what you felt during that time period, not just what you feel today, but what you felt back then as a, as a gamer and, um, you know, what you enjoyed back then. Yeah, obviously we only had time to really scratch the surface today, but I hope we've gotten across for people like you shoot or anyone out there who maybe hasn't really experienced much of the GameCube. I hope that we've been able to convey why this is such a special console and why it means so much to us. And, you know, hopefully this is the hope. The hope, the speculation is someday we'll get GameCube on RA. And when that day comes, we'll be able to either re-experience for the people who love it or experience the first time for people who missed out on it. And I just, I think that's going to be great. I'm going to go so hard on GameCube games once that happens. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I think for sure. Um, 
I, I think you and, and Draco and, you know, anyone else that's really enthusiastic about the GameCube is just going to absolutely destroy it. So I'm, I'm pretty much looking forward to seeing you guys do that. And, you know, perhaps even making my own dive into it after, uh, you know, everything is said and done at the end of the day. But um, hopefully, hopefully I can get a little bit more into GameCube and maybe Retro Achievements pushes me in that direction. I know that it's definitely done that with um, a few other consoles, certainly, that have uh, made a pretty strong appearance on Retro Achievements. So that being said, uh, Sizzle, Bendy, honestly, guys, it's been such a pleasure having you guys both share your thoughts on this, especially for somebody like me, who's not as knowledgeable on the GameCube and what it really means to me. Cause I, again, it was a friend's house thing. It wasn't my kind of thing. Uh, I didn't have one growing up. So I really appreciate you guys sharing your perspective on it. Um, you know, that wraps things up for today's episode of the RA podcast. So please be sure our audience to like the video and hit the bell to make sure that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and we certainly hope to see you again. Thank you so much again to my co-hosts, Bendy and King Sizzle. Uh, This is Shootsy signing off. Bye.